Hey, everybody. Welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. I'm Christine <laughs> Brower, here with my co-host, Katie Weaver. Hey, Katie. Hello. How are you? Well, I'm well. I'm like 15 days into this quarantine business and right. feeling just a little, uh, you know, done with this shit. But, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm being a good girl and doing what I'm supposed to. So, Boy, you know. do I feel you. Yeah. You know, it's been a great time to binge a lot of true crime documentaries. I have to admit, yeah. mm-hmm. I have watched a lot. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I kind of had to get my head together this morning about this case. Like, I need to not mix it up with some of the other ones I've been watching. You know, like, <laughs> I've watched so many lately. Oh, my gosh. It's gotten so intense. Yeah. But uh, we're really excited. We're going to be covering Mara Murray this yeah. morning. And I don't know. I think maybe we ought to just jump right into it. Yeah. So let's do that. So Mara Murray went missing on Monday, February 9th, 2004. Now, you have heard this story a lot of times. You may have watched the Mm -hmm. documentaries about it. There's a lot out there. So what we're going to do slightly differently is I'm going to cover the timeline and then I'm going to cover some of the backstory so that you know the story. So if you don't know Mara Murray, you will know the story. Um, but then we're going to kind of play a um, ask the psychic true or false kind of game with Katie. And I'm going to put a bunch of theories to Katie and have her tell us what her hit is about whether the theories are true or not. This of course is an unsolved case. It's still just classified as a missing persons case, even though, you know, she's been missing for uh, 16 years. So I think she's not coming back, but we'll get to that. So Mara Murray was a college student. She was um, in uh, studying nursing and at around midnight on the 9th of uh, February 2004, she uses MapQuest to search d- directions to the Berkshires and Burlington, Vermont. Remember Map- MapQuest, Katie? Yeah. <laughs> Seems like 100 years ago that anyone would have used MapQuest, but this was right? back in 2004 before her cell phone had GPS. So, well, she had a flip phone, in fact. Yes, yeah, she did. Like <laughs> most of us did back then. Okay. Right. So she searches directions for these places, which are places that she was very familiar with. She had been many times with her family, uh, favorite vacation spot. So it seems like she's looking to go maybe there. Mm-hmm. Um, that same day, about one o'clock in the afternoon, she emails her boyfriend and says, I got your messages. This is her boyfriend, Bill. Um, but honestly, I didn't feel like talking to much of anyone. I promised to call today, though. They had a pretty rocky relationship and were really struggling at that time. Things were not mm-hmm. going well between them. And she was avoiding him. And so she didn't really want to talk to him that day. She also, about that same time, made some phone calls inquiring about renting a condominium uh, at the same Bartlett, New Hampshire condo where her family had vacationed many times before. Mm-hmm. Uh, she didn't rent a condo, but she called and asked about renting a condo. Yeah. Okay. So then about 1.13 PM that day, she calls a fellow nursing student and we still don't know why she made that phone call or what that was about. Uh, at 1.24 PM that day, she emailed a work supervisor at the uh, nursing school where she was at. And she said she would be out of town for a week because there had been a death in her family. Right. Now this was a lie. There was right. no death in her family, but she was no. getting herself 
off the hook for a week. A week. Yeah, that was news to her family. Yeah. 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 Her family had no idea what that was about. Then at 2.05 p.m., she called a number um, about booking hotels in Stowe, Vermont. So she's looking in these places. You know, she's looking to go to Vermont, obviously, you know, hasn't found a place to stay quite yet. Um, at 2.18, she did call her boyfriend and left a voice message that she would talk to him later. And somewhere around that time, she packed a bunch of stuff into her car, clothing, toiletries, her textbooks, her birth control. Uh, so a bunch of stuff like she was headed out of town. Yeah. Later, they would discover that in her apartment, most of her belongings were packed in boxes. Now, I've heard a lot of theories around this one that she had not lived in that apartment for very long. And it may have been that she just hadn't unpacked yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was she was leaving. Nobody's really sure. But here's where we kind of get where we know her very last movement. So at 3.40 p.m., she takes $280 out of an ATM. There's closed circuit footage um, that shows she was alone. But, okay, so this is one of those ATMs that it's its own little building. Mm-hmm. And the footage is just stills taken like every three seconds. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't show outside of the building. And so there's no one in with her in the building doesn't necessarily show that there isn't anyone in the car with her. So we don't know. Mm -hmm. Then she goes to a nearby liquor store and buys $40 worth of alcohol. Mm -hmm. And that she did go alone into that store as well. There's footage of that as well. And also at some point she went to the Massachusetts registry of motor vehicles because, uh, and we'll get into this when we get into the backstory a bit, but she had wrecked her dad's car just a couple of days prior to this. And so she needed to file an accident report. So then she leaves Amherst, Massachusetts between 4 and 5 p.m., they believe, on Interstate 91 North. Um, At 4.37, she calls to check her voicemail, which is the last recorded use of her cell phone. Um, As far as they know, she didn't tell anybody where she was going. No one in her family, none of her friends, her boyfriend, no one knew that she was taking off and that she had bowed out of school for a week. Mm-hmm. So sometime after 7 p.m., a Woodsville, New Hampshire resident, they heard this thump outside of their house. So this is where she was, was around this area, Woodsville or Haverhill. Um, when she looks out the window of her house, she can see that there's a car out there that has bumped into a snowbank. Now, this is on Route 112, which is known as Wild Amanusik Road. I think I said that right. <laughs> I hope I said that right. Okay. So she looks out the window. She sees this car has ran into a snowbank. So about 727, she calls the police to report that there's been an accident. Um, initially, it was said that she said that she saw a man smoking a cigarette inside the car. Uh, later, she says that what she saw was a red light, which you might think was a cigarette, right? Or maybe it was from a cell phone or maybe it was from the stereo of the car. She saw a red light in the car and somehow she, that made everyone think for a while that there was someone in the car with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so then a neighbor pulls up alongside the vehicle and this is a, a neighbor that drives a school bus. And so he pulls up alongside of her, talks to her for a minute. She's not injured, though airbags have deployed. So she did hit hard enough that it deployed the airbags in her car. She asked, he he said, let me call somebody for help. And she said, no, please don't. Um, And so she said she'd already called AAA. Now, 
that call didn't happen because in this this stretch of this highway, there's no cell service. So she could not have called AAA. But there was a reason why she did not call the police. She did not want anyone else to call the police. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But I just want to get through the timeline first. Um, so the neighbor does call the sheriff's department because he thinks it's weird. He knows that she can't call AAA. Right. So he also calls the police. Um, and then there was another, let's see, someone else driving home from work says she passed the scene at 737. And that's when she saw a police SUV parked face to face with her car. Um, she pulled over, didn't see anybody standing outside or looking like they needed help. So she didn't do anything about it. She just went, kept on going. And there was some, you know, there was some controversy about that and about that car uh, that's totally been solved. That was just one of the local sheriffs coming and then a police officer came as well. So the Haverhill police officer uh, arrived on the scene at 746. So he, he was the first one there. And then a second police officer also came. So they find that the car has hit a tree on the driver's side of the vehicle and it damaged the left headlight had pushed the car's radiator into the fan. I mean, it, it was not drivable. Mm-hmm. Um, the The car's windshield was cracked on the driver's side and the airbags had been deployed. And the car was also locked. <laughs> so there's no one in the car. The car mm-hmm. is locked. Yeah. Um, they discover that there are red wine stains inside and outside the car. They find a box of Franzia wine on the rear seat and they're pretty sure that that was the, uh, you know, part of the accident. Right. Um, they find a bunch of her belongings in there, um, you know, makeup and jewelry and the driving directions to Burlington, Vermont. Remember the MapQuest directions? Her favorite stuffed animal and a bunch of stuff. Her, you know, a lot of things were there. Things that were not there was her phone and debit card. So wherever she went, those things were on her. Um, they also think some of the alcohol that she bought was missing mm-hmm. and they found a, a, a soda bottle that smelled like alcohol that they really think she'd been drinking while she was driving. So at this point they have this car, it's wrecked into a snowbank. It's locked with, you know, the owner's belongings in it. And there is no Mara to be seen. They cannot find her anywhere. And so they start looking for her, you know, obviously they go up and down the roads looking for her. It had, you know, this is winter, there's snow on the ground, there are no tracks heading off into the woods on either side of the road. They go down this other little track that is kind of a just a very partial road, no footprints there either. There's it's literally like she just vanished off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. They drive around searching for her, you know, the search lasts for a long, long time and they spread it out further and further and further and they don't find anything. The only thing they find when they tow the car in to have it forensically searched is that there is a rag stuffed up the muffler on the car, which is very interesting. And that this gets into my theory about what happened. Uh Um, so they start referring to her as missing and they start looking for her and her family comes, her boyfriend comes. I mean, they look for her. They look for her for weeks. Mm-hmm. Nothing. They find zero, no evidence of her at all. Nothing. Mm-hmm. It is literally like she disappeared into Fred's into, uh, 
thin air. Now we know she didn't because nobody disappears into thin, thin air. And we're going to talk about what some of our theories are, but I want to talk a little bit about the background on this case, because I think some things that are really, um, really important to know about Mara. So Mara, before being a nursing student in Amherst, she was at West Point. Right. Um, she came from, her dad was in the military. Um, she was raised uh, by her mother, mostly her parents divorced when she was six. Mm-hmm. But she was a star athlete on the school's track team. She and her sister both were star athletes and were, they were hardcore overachievers, you know? Oh, yeah. You you know the type, you know, get straight A's in everything, work really, really hard, are struggling a great deal, you know, to, to always be the best and be better and be more. So in the midst of all of that, she gets admitted to West Point and she is, she goes to West Point for three semesters. Uh, She was studying chemical engineering there at the time. Mm -hmm. But after her freshman year, she transferred to the University of Massachusetts in Amherst to study nursing. Now, there's a really important thing that happens with Mara that caused this. And I think is a good indication of, from a psychological standpoint, I can never help but look at this also psychologically as well as psychically, because I'm a social worker. So she stole some makeup from the commissary at Fort Knox. Now y'all know the jokes about <laughs> Fort Knox. Like it's the most secure right. military base on the planet of earth. And she stole five bucks worth of makeup from their commissary and was immediately busted. Um, so this was considered an honor code violation. So rather than officially expelling her, they let her transfer to UMass in Amherst, to the uh-huh. nursing program there. So this is kind of the first indication that maybe things aren't going that great in her life. You know, she told her friend who was with her at the time, she has no idea why she did it. She had the money in her pocket to pay for what she took. She just did it. Um, so, so she goes to UMass in the nursing program. In November of 2003, which is a few months before she disappeared, she gets busted for using a stolen credit card to order food, like from pizza places. Uh-huh. And she was busted in a sting with the police. Um, she was charged, but she had this, um, they, they basically gave her this uh, way out that if she had three months of good behavior and didn't get into any trouble, that um, they, the charge wouldn't go onto her record basically. Uh So for the second time, she kind of gets bailed out of some really petty, bizarre criminal behavior. Yeah. So a couple of things to think about. The night before she went missing, she wrecked her dad's brand new car on the way home from a party. Likely had been drinking. There's a lot of talk from everybody in her life that alcohol had become a problem for her. Mm -hmm. Well, she was terrified because she knows if she gets in trouble, during this three month period, she's in big trouble. She's going to have real charges on her record. Um, you know, if, if you know anything about working, nursing might be out the window, right? Yeah. If you're working in healthcare and you have, you know, you, you, you have to pass background checks. You can't, it's just like being a social worker. You can't, and, and a daycare provider when you were doing, doing daycare, you know, you can't oh, yeah. have things on your can't record. Be doing like that. Stuff like that. Yeah. No. So she was, so she was really, really upset. 
she also done some serious damage, like $9,000 worth of damage to her dad's brand new car. Now, you got to know her dad was tremendously hard on her. And I'm not saying this to blame him in any way. It's just this is how she grew up. She grew up with this dad that expected the best out of her and everything that she had done. And she was failing. You know, she'd been in trouble with the law twice. She'd had to change schools. She didn't make it at West Point. You know, she's already not doing so hot. Then she wrecks her dad's car. So they don't call the police when she wrecks her dad's car. And he says, I want you to get an accident report from the police and just fill it out. She wasn't in a wreck with anyone else. And, and, and we'll, we'll claim it on the insurance, but we won't involve the police, you know, to, to protect her. Right? right. So then when this accident happens on the night that she disappears again, she's begging the guy who stops to help her, please don't call the police. Cause again, here she is. Another time, likely alcohol involved, single car accident, you know, and mm -hmm. it's, it, they're very common, an accident like that when someone's drinking to just hit a snowbank or hit a tree or hit something, you know, yeah. because they're not, you know, because they're impaired. Right. So, you know, this gives you some idea of her mindset. She's not in a good place in her head. No. Now, let's see. Oh, the other thing that happened. So just a couple of days before this all happened, she had a phone call with her older sister, Kathleen, while she was on duty at work. She was a campus security guard. And they talked about some problems that were going on with Kathleen. It finally came out in the last documentary that I watched. Kathleen finally admits what happened on that call that got her so upset because um, after that call, Mara got so upset that her supervisor had to take her home. She could not stay at work. She was just she was just a mess. Mm -hmm. And all she could say to her um, supervisor was my sister. Well, sister has a pretty serious alcohol and drug problem and a pretty long history of an abusive relationship. And she had just gotten out of rehab. And in that phone call, she admits to Mara that she's drinking again. And Mara just melts down. Like, mm -hmm. you know, this is her her older sister, they're like best friends. They're very close. She's she's close to all of her siblings, but she's very close, particularly to Kathleen. And so it's believed that she just really like this was just one more weight on her that she couldn't take. Mm -hmm. And so she was just kind of melted down in that moment and, and was really, really upset. So then so this is the weekend before she goes missing. So she discovers that this is happening. Um, with her sister. Then her dad comes to visit. Uh -huh. And he's taking her car shopping because her car is not in good shape and she's having a lot of problems with it and thinking of um, getting her another car. But then, so that night she goes to a party. Her dad says, here, take my car since your car's not in the greatest of shape. And she hits a guardrail and causes, you know, like $9,000 worth of damage to his car. Um. So this is just the stress is piling, right? Can you just feel the pressure building yeah. on this girl? Because I can. Oh, I yeah. feel like, you know, when she stole from Fort Knox, I feel like, and I've seen this before in people when um, they're just stressed beyond their capabilities. Yeah. Sometimes they lash out and act out in really weird ways. It's just this using the stolen credit card. Same thing. These are, uh -huh. this is a stress response. She's not thinking clearly. She's really not in a good place mentally. Then in the midst of all of this, you find out that there's been some infidelity in her relationship on his mm -hmm. part, but also on hers. Yeah. 
and they are like pre-engaged and he I don't know you know the family doesn't love him they they are pretty lukewarm on him and Mm -hmm. you know kind of always felt like she would be better off without him but so there's that stress there's just the stress of being in nursing school which I can only imagine and then there's the drinking that is obviously becoming a problem in her life, plus the stress of her sister, her dad, the car, the legal stuff. Like she's just at a breaking point. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then she takes off like she's just going to leave for a week and like, I'm just going to get the hell out and um, get out of here. So that is basically the story. I mean, we can mm-hmm. go into I mean, this is a long, huge story. Yeah. And, and, and there have been zillions of hours of research done but i want to play quiz the psychic here for a minute and we'll do the psychic analysis afterward but let's play quiz the psychic first i'm going to ask you some questions about various elements that have come up in this case and i want you to just tell us what your hit is okay so one of the accusations made is that her dad fred was involved do you think fred murray was involved in her disappearance i do not that doesn't resonate with me at all Okay. Uh, Another theory is that her boyfriend, Bill, was somehow involved. No. Okay. Bill, by the way, was 1,700 miles away. There was no way that he was, but but that was questioned. Um, There are accusations all over the internet, and people have gone crazy with this case. Like, you know, if you just think it's your theory, then you share it out there in the world like it's real, and it's very hurtful to people. But and people grab the, it and run with it. Yeah. Right. One of the theories out there is that Fred had molested Mara as a child. I don't believe that. That doesn't resonate as true. And you know, in psychic work, their sexual abuse has a really distinct feeling. It almost has uh, like a psychic smell, if that makes any sense. Like it, you yeah. really know that. And I don't see that at all. I think Fred was really actually a good dad Mm -hmm. in the way that he knew how to be a good dad. You know, he was very intense. Yes. He put too much pressure on his kids. Yes. Those things are absolutely true, but he loved his kids. He was, you know, he was trying to be a good dad and just, you know, help his kids achieve all that they could. And, and maybe he was a little tone deaf, obviously to some of their challenges, but he was not, he wasn't molesting his kids. I don't believe that to be true. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So shortly after this happened, there was an interview with Fred Mm -hmm. and Fred, I got to say, Fred didn't handle any of this particularly well. And I do not blame him at all because I I don't think I would either. Like you, you cannot criticize someone whose daughter just went missing and think, you know, and pick apart every single thing that he said. But he did say in an interview that, Maybe she just had had enough of everything and went on a squaw walk. And what he meant by that was that she went out into the woods and died. Uh-huh. Um, that then, of course, blew up. And then everybody in the media was like, well, she was suicidal. And so she probably just walked off from the car and killed herself in the woods. And uh, so I, I want your psychic impression here. Did Mara Murray kill herself? No. No, I don't believe she did. I first of all, they didn't find any footprints or any evidence of her walking out into the woods. But secondly, right. she knew better. She knew better. She wasn't going mm-hmm. to do that. I, I don't feel like that's what happened at all. Okay. No. Okay. Do you? Okay. So here's another one. Some theories are that she simply walked away from the accident and walked away from her life and just started over. 
16 years later, no one who ever knew her has ever heard from her again. Some people think she no. went to Canada. Do you, do you think that that's true? Mara Murray is dead. Yeah, I, I don't believe that that's the case at all. I think things went very sideways and that she was not, I mean, I have a theory, you know, that we'll get into, but I don't feel like that's the case. She was too close, especially to her sister, Kathleen. Yeah. I just don't think she would have just abandoned her like that at all, even in the mindset she was in. I mean, this girl was extremely bright. She was brilliant, you know, and not that, you know, not that stupid people do stupid things or whatever. I mean, I don't know why, but I said that except for that. I just, I feel like if she had done that, she would have at some point gotten grounded enough to recognize that her family needed her. You know, I I just don't see it. I don't feel like that's the case. And, And I absolutely fully believe that she's demised. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. So those are the main theories that I want to get into, but then I want to move into the psychic analysis so I can tell you my theory. I want to hear your theory. Um, So we're just going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll come back with the psychic analysis. Okay. Welcome back to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. We are here talking about the Mara Murray case. And we've gone through the timeline. We've gone through the main theories. Now we get to ourselves as intuitives when we look Mm -hmm. at this case. What do we think happened? So I want to share what I think happened, what I my mm-hmm. sense of this is. Because I've worked on this a lot this week, you know, quarantined at home, right? I already work at home, <laughs> but I'm also quarantined at home. So I've worked mm-hmm. on this a lot. And my here's my sense of this. One of the things that, that um, misleads this timeline is that she took money out of her ATM and so she had cash. And so there are things that we don't know about when she left Amherst to when she got to Haverhill, the things that she did and where was she? And, and there's some time lost in there. Like if you just drive straight from Amherst to Haverhill, there's an hour or two missing. Yeah. I think she met up with some people. I don't know that it was exactly. people that she really knew before, but my, I feel like she went to like a bar that she stopped at a bar that she met some people that she talked to some people. She talked to some men. I feel like she left there intoxicated. I feel like she left there vulnerable. Mm -hmm. She came off as vulnerable in the situation. Mm -hmm. I feel like the rag in the tailpipe of her car is really significant. Mm -hmm. If you put the rag in the tailpipe of a car and you drive it for long enough, it will shut itself off because it, the, carbon monoxide builds up inside or something it does something mechanically that it will stop the car basically i feel like her car was sabotaged and i feel like she was being followed i every time i tune into this situation there is a car behind her that and and it's multiple people it's three or four men mm-hmm. that are in this car i feel like that um the car did not shut off because of the exhaust i feel like she wrecked it first because uh-huh. she was too intoxicated to be driving. She was. I feel like she got out of the car. Here's the neighbor. They're talking about calling the police. She's panicking because she knows she's going to be in big trouble if she gets another charge. Here come these guys accidentally. Uh-huh. 
in their car who she was just at the bar with. She feels a little bit of trust with them because she talked to them. Also, she's intoxicated, so Uh she's not making great choices. They say, hey, just get in with us. Let's get you out of here. We'll figure it out later, but you don't have to stay. I feel like she got in the car with them. And I feel like she was raped and murdered and that she was raped and murdered that night. And that her body is hidden. And we're talking about a place that's quite um, wooded. And there are a lot of places that a body could be hidden. And because we have no, there were, there were no witnesses to that. Like there were people who saw the accident, but these people were busy calling the police while there were just a few minutes. It's, it's literally like three or four minutes of time when no one was looking at her. But if there was a car not far behind her that just came up and said, Hey, jump in. And she jumped Uh in. It could take 20 seconds to do that. Boom. They're gone. No one ever knows. And that she is knew truly, that. She yes. knew that. So they didn't have to talk her into the car. No, she was like, her. oh, I'm in trouble. I'm getting in with you. I'll tell you the story as we go. You know, I, I, I totally, I have no doubt that that is exactly what happened. They took her somewhere. They had already been planning to follow her and had, had attempted to set her up. And that's what the rag of the tailpipe was about. And that she was raped and killed and that she was killed that night. I don't feel like she lived any, you know, more than an hour or two beyond when that all happened. Mm-hmm. And because no one knows who that is that took her and the focus was so heavily on her just being having the focus was all on her having walked away from her car. Right. There really was no police work done on the other possible elements here. And now it may be too late. I Maybe it isn't. I don't know. Maybe the, the, there's lots of stuff still going on with this case and a lot of investigating still going on. But I I really do believe that her body has been um, concealed somewhere yeah. and that um, there are individuals in that community that know what happened. Mm-hmm. And some of them have taunted the uh, – there are a couple of podcasters – that uh, have done a huge Mara Murray podcast that's like 40 episodes or something. And there's someone that has taunted them for a long time with emails, with information, false information, threats, all kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, I feel like someone knows and that this was very much perpetrated by local people in that uh, Haverhill area. And that, um, you know, if somebody finally breaks down and decides to tell the truth, that that's how we're going to know what happened to Mara Marie. So that's my psychic analysis is that she was followed from a bar. It was a setup. They knew what they were going to do the whole time. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. That is very similar to the hit that I had. I'm going to add one more layer to it. Well, too, but I, I absolutely agree with that. It, that it was so easy to just pull up and she just hopped right in their car. So easy. She left her stuff because she thought she would be coming back for it. Yeah. This was just another bailout for her of, you know, driving drunk or getting caught doing something, you know, this was a normal thing for her. And I feel like that was just, it was so easy to hop in that car. Yeah. So two things come up for me. I actually believe that there was a man that she was involved with that was supposed to be meeting her wherever she was going. Uh-huh, I feel okay. like she was going and he would meet up with her like the next day or whatnot when she secured a room and figured out exactly where she wanted to go. Mm-hmm. She was she was going blind. She hadn't gotten a place. She couldn't make up her mind. She wasn't sure what she wanted. She was just going to show up in that community and find a place. And mm-hmm. that was her plan. There was a man that I feel like was associated with the hospital where she was working and going to school. 
mm-hmm. that uh, was supposed to be meeting her. But then I actually feel like this person may have been married. Like this was a really, uh, this was an affair that was happening that was really on the DL. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he didn't come forward and say shit because he didn't want to get implicate himself in any way. He didn't actually do anything, but she was supposed to get to where she was going, let him know he was going to come and meet her where she was. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a, a twofold. I have to run away from my life, but also she wanted to, you know, create this space with this person. Um, I feel like he was a high level employee where she worked. Mm-hmm. He was an administrator of some point or a doc- of some kind or a doctor or whatnot, but somebody who had some authority that was also kind of working her, you know, along the lines of, you know, encouraging her to take this break in other words. So, but I feel like once she disappeared, then of course they, uh, felt really guilty because they urged her to take this trip and also of course didn't want to blow up their own job or marriage and never sure. said anything. But mm-hmm. I feel like that's a layer that just got kind of glossed over. It is, you know, there've been questions about where she was going, but because she didn't actually book anything, they really had no idea where she was going. And she picked, you know, she contacted multiple cities, multiple towns yeah. looking for stuff. And so it was really hard to determine because she'd never booked anything where she was actually headed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What I think she discovered is that there were quite a few options and she had decided to just drive as far as she could drive, you know, and just Mm -hmm. just figure it out as she went. Sure. The unpacked, the boxes that were packed had been not unpacked. She was under a ridiculous amount of stress with the amount of school and work hours she was putting in and homework and trying to be perfect with school. She just hadn't attended to that stuff. It didn't mean anything. She really was planning yeah. on coming back. The yeah. friend that she called that, that doesn't know why she called her, uh, she was calling her just to let her know that, uh, she was, she was adding another layer to her story. She was just calling to tell her that there'd been a death in her family and she was taking off. And uh, she was just, okay. that, that was just another part of her kind of laying the groundwork for where mm-hmm. she was going. That's all that was. But, uh, And why she didn't just leave her a voicemail and tell her that, I don't know. Maybe she didn't have a voicemail set up. But, you know, I mean, now that would probably have been a text, you know. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, you think about how much different all of this would have been now. Yeah, totally. But I feel like that's that's what happened. I absolutely agree that she had stopped at a bar and got, you know, connected to some people. I feel like they had recommended the route she was on. Like they, they sent her on that road knowing that she was inebriated, knowing that they had, you know, done something to try to get that car to stop at some point. Well, and and also it was very well known in that community that there was this like 19 mile stretch right there with no cell service. Right. Several people in one of the uh, documentaries I watched commented on that. And I thought, oh, so that's why why she was on that particular stretch of road when something went wrong because they were looking for that because she couldn't call for help. Yep, totally. I do believe that they took her back to some kind of a cabin. This Mm -hmm. looks to me like a hunting cabin or Mm -hmm. some kind of a, I I don't know that necessarily they lived there full time, but this was some kind of a a cabin in the woods type. I know that sounds so cliche, but I really feel like that's that's what it was. you know? I I agree. I agree totally that that is exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason some of the alcohol was gone is because they took it with her. They were going to party, right. you know, they were going to party. And yes, she had a raging uh, alcohol problem. I think so much worse than the people around her knew. I do she too. Was trying to cover that, you know, 
Yeah. And I, I suspect that when her sister relapsed, that's why it upset her so much because she knew damn well she had her own problem to deal with, but yes. didn't want to be the person that her sister had become for her parents. And so she was really trying to kind of have it both ways. I suspect that dad has a drinking problem. That came I, up for me. I have that impression from him as well that that alcohol is a has a alcohol really, is an issue in this family. Yeah, 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 and that there was a pretty heavy focus on alcohol in her life as a child, and uh-huh. that that really is had come out. Um, and I I so resonate with that with you that she was under such a huge amount of stress. She was breaking, and she oh, knew yeah. she was. She had mm-hmm. to get away for a little while and get away oh, from yeah. everything and everyone and figure out what she wanted out of her life. You know, there was all this uh-huh. pressure around her and she didn't really know what she wanted. No, I suspect that what she was doing, you know, you know, obviously when she was uh, at West Point, she, she wasn't where she needed to be and she knew it, you know, I feel like basically her whole life has been spent trying to please others and trying to show up as much as humanly possible, you know, and, and, and she had in so many extraordinary ways, but yeah, I agree with that. She didn't have a clue who she was and, or what she wanted out of life. That that part to me is very sad. I think it's sad for her dad well, and her mom too, but for her dad, because I do feel like there's a level of him that knows, you know, that maybe he... No, her mom's he, dead. Her mom died. Oh, is she? Okay. Mm-hmm. She, she has died she, not long before all this. So that's another Okay. I did stressor. not know that. Okay. I forgot. That was another of the stressors. Uh-huh. Just that her like mother had died. Oh, everything geez. was just sort of down on her head, mm-hmm. you know, and she was yeah. just a young woman. It was a lot. Yep. And we have this military style dad that's like, you know, you're just, you're a soldier. You just keep on marching, you know, you just keep on going. Yeah. But yeah, I I, I think that, but you know, one thing I was hearing is that uh, when I looked into this case is that she had emotional issues in high school that maybe got kind of uh, brushed under the rug, you know, and that she really shouldn't have ever been at West Point. No, uh -uh, no. Uh, The the pressure of that was crazy. And Mm -hmm. But it was obviously the thing, that driven personality and that driven way that she'd been raised, just she didn't know when to say no, you know. Right, right. Yep, she was never going to never gonna do that. I feel like she was an extraordinary person. It, it's oh, such a yeah. terribly sad loss, you know, mm-hmm. because she really was. I really wonder if she, if nursing really wasn't uh, maybe the path she wanted to take but that was the one that was kind of imposed on her, you know? Yeah. And so there she was. I, I suspect that she was very good at what she did, you know, mm-hmm. and that she was beloved where she was at. But yeah, I agree. It's, it's really sad because obviously what was happening in her life was, uh, you know, was intense and intense enough for her to, to crack like this. It's just, it's just extraordinarily sad that, uh, you know, she ended up connecting with, some really bad people that right. you know I mean, it was literally on her wrong place wrong time vulnerable person and you know, all this other stuff in her life is interesting and kind of helps you know why she got there but does it have anything to do with what happened to her no no not really i mean she just was in the wrong place at the wrong time but i, I guess right. it does in a way because she's clearly a she was vulnerable at that time and oh, was yeah. identified as vulnerable by those individuals who took her Oh, definitely. Definitely. Oh, I feel like she had a, got a few drinks in her and had some, these, these men that were showing her some attention and asking her some questions and she kind of spilled her guts, you know? Yeah. And they, I mean, it was, it wasn't hard to see that this person is going to be an easy target. 
and traveling alone at night, you know, she was vulnerable and, and in a, in a car that everybody in her family said she never should have gone anywhere in that car. Anyway, the fact that it made it as far as it did was surprising. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she was, she was an easy target in that moment, sadly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was. So then I kind of got, so a couple of things about these men. So a name comes really strong for me, Kevin or Devin. Could be a first name, could be a last name, but there's a name associated to these men, mm-hmm. Evan or Devin. Okay. And Evan. <laughs> but, or Evan. So, right? Or Evan. But yeah, but so so then I'm asking, have they done this before? Did right. they do this again? Mm-hmm. What I'm hearing is that one of them had done this before in another town, not where they were, but somewhere else with a cousin. And this was something that uh you know, that he had bragged about to the people in question. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, it's really hard for me to get my head around why anyone would go, Hey, let's go kill this girl, you know? And there's a part of me that goes, maybe they didn't intend to kill her. Maybe this was about rape and, and it went wrong, Mm -hmm. except for that. The, the one person involved that had been involved in other things, and he had been involved more in like date rape and gang rape uh, with a cousin who had, that they had been roofing girls at bars. Mm-hmm. So, but again, this was in another state. It wasn't where this happened. This was something, you know, it was separate, but I feel like the other two men maybe had not been involved in something like this in the past, but he really, uh, I, I suspect that at least one of them did not know this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that he was just told, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to party with her. That's kind of the extent of it. Uh, however, I feel like this, uh, you know, when this happened and they actually ended up killing her, that there was a lot of fear associated. There were a lot of threats associated. Oh, yeah. I am not convinced that we won't get the truth out of this at, at some point. I suspect that. What I keep hearing is that there will be a prison confession. You know, oh, there'll okay. be a prison confession from one of them. I suspect the guy who actually didn't in tend and being involved in this and ended up involved in it mm-hmm. that he is or will be imprisoned for something else and that he'll talk about this whether it's to a chaplain or it's to a, you know a, a, another inmate or whatnot but I feel like at some point the story the truth will come out mm-hmm. the story will be told now I have questions about you know the credibility of it will we will we Get believe it yeah, yeah. yeah. we'll but but I do believe actually that the tale will be told at some point. Mm-hmm. I do too. I this feels very unfinished to me, and I think that's why it keeps coming up. Why there have been so many documentaries about it and so much written about it is that it is unfinished, yeah. and that um, it, it's not going to go away until the story is told. Until at yeah. least at least her family knows what happened to her, even if yep. they don't know where she is. I don't know if that will happen, but at least that they will mm-hmm. know what did yeah. happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like that is true. I, the, the challenge I have with that is that I feel like her, no, no answer is going to be enough for her dad. Yeah. You know, he waged war on the police department. Oh, right. he, he did. filed lawsuits. I mean, he has, you know, and, and obviously he felt like this was mishandled and I, I don't know that it was or wasn't. I'm not really going to comment on that because I feel like, you know, this was a, 
very odd case that everyone was trying to do the, you know, what, what they could with it. And I don't think this area had seen much of this kind of stuff, you know, no, they, they really hadn't. And in one of the interviews that I saw with one of the police officers, they said, you have to understand that we just responded to a minor car accident, right? We, you know, this did not come to us as a missing person initially. And right. it didn't come to us as potentially a murder. They just call this out for a car accident. And the person that was in the car accident was seen by another person and seen to be physically okay. Yeah. And so well, for and them, you know, they're like, well, okay, she's an adult. She has the right to walk away from her life. Right. And, and you know, and I mean, you can still say, though, that d- d- the disappearances of women do not get taken as seriously as they should. Absolutely. And the idea that that a woman just can't handle it anymore and just disappears, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, really, because women are much more much are very strong emotionally, you know? Yeah. And the idea that women just can't take it anymore and then just, you know, walk off. You know, I have actually heard way more stories of men doing that that were, you know, true proven stories of men doing that. Women, women have a tendency to not do that because of their emotional attachments to people. Right. But I do feel like there was some of that in this, that, well, this was just mm-hmm. a, an overwhelmed girl who wandered away. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the, the mistake that dad made, and it's not his fault, it's just what happened when he alluded to the potential that this was suicide, that's really where they went with it. And we're like, uh-huh. oh, okay. So this was a suicidal kid who didn't mm-hmm. want to get in trouble, so she walked off into the woods to protect herself, you know? Right. Yeah. And that really, that hurt this case significantly because then it did. No one really right. Believed. I mean, dad was just spitballing, you know, yeah. he was just throwing out anything like what, what could have happened, could it you be? know? Yeah. yeah. And he says in interviews that I've seen later, he says, I'm really, I really regret that I said that because it sent the whole investigation in the wrong direction. Yeah. And it did. It, it definitely mm-hmm. did. send. But, you know, I mean, I, I cannot, I cannot criticize a parent in that situation because I cannot imagine what I would do, you know. Mm-hmm. Here is one question about this theory that I I have a, a maybe not a problem but I think needs to be addressed. She was in a public place with other people. Why didn't anyone identify her? As as there's been so many stories about her being missing and she was in that bar why didn't anyone come forward and say, hey, I think she was in this bar tonight? You know, it's a small, close-knit, everybody-knows-everybody kind of community, and it may have been that they just don't speak up. Um, one of the people who they interviewed who was a local community member said, we don't really trust the police here. And so ah. I feel like there may have been some of that, and there may have been some of they just she wasn't in there that long. Maybe not, mm-hmm. not that many people saw her. You That's know, what they, I wondered if not many people ask. I don't see anything in any of the investigation that I've studied that indicates that they went anywhere like that and asked. I don't think they did. One thing that comes through to me actually is that the barkeeper, because I went, all right, other people in the bar, maybe they didn't see her. Maybe she was wearing a hat. I wondered if she was like wearing a hat and didn't look like who you would have expected that you were going to see. And people didn't really put two and two together. I actually feel like the bartender was one of the people involved. Mm-hmm. And that's why a bartender didn't, because that would be the one person that you would think might say, hey, there was a girl in our bar tonight that was not who, uh, yeah. you know, someone not someone we normally see here. I actually suspect that the bartender either was one of those men in the car or is associated to one of them. 
uh, mm-hmm. I do feel like he he did know that she was in the car in the bar, but was the you know and was probably the only person that really would have recognized her or spoken up at all that he uh, he didn't because he was either it doesn't fully resonate with me that he was one of the men in the car. But I got to say that the word cousin comes up for me over and over and over in this case. Mm-hmm. When I look at these men, mm-hmm. was he a cousin or a relative of, yeah. you know, these guys that had been talking to her? I suspect that. Yeah. The bartender uh, that that resonates with me that there was some mm-hmm. cover up of that. And, and yeah. you know, the family has believed that there's been a cover up the whole time. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like they're picking up on something, but they've put it on the police. But my, I don't yeah. think the police. I don't either. But there's a lot of misinterpretation of of people in this. You know, a lot there's there's lots of mis, um a lot of distrust of dad because he comes across as guilty. Well, he is mm-hmm. guilty. He was a really hard he was very hard on her and he knew yeah. it. And here she took off and I I don't have any doubt that he has some doubts of his own about how he should have handled the the car accident uh-huh. or some of the other things that went on. I I feel like there were some questions right. for him that he does feel guilty, but not because he was involved or because he did anything to her. But right, he, but had he actions leading up to it, maybe have contributed right. to her taking off. But had he busted her instead of covering for her mm-hmm. when she dre- wrecked his car, inebriated, which she was, maybe this wouldn't have ever happened. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But he was so determined. But I'll take that a step further because I feel like he too had his own series of missteps as a kid and as an adult and had his kind of, you know, insulation, his, his family or his good old boys or whoever you want to, you know, consider Mm -hmm. that covered for him, you know, to, to keep him on the even keel to, to get his, uh, you know, his accomplishments in his life. And I feel like he just, that was very normal for him to do to cover for his kids in the same way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And it was clearly something that had happened before for her. And so it was a bit of an expectation on her part. Yeah. Yeah. And it certainly wasn't his fault that any of this happened. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It's heartbreaking for him and, and will be for his whole life. You know, I mean, there's just her other siblings. I mean, it's terrible. Oh, yeah. I cannot yeah. imagine living for 16 years not knowing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, sadly, one of those cases of a vulnerable young woman who was preyed on by some men that were looking for a target, obviously. Yeah, I I very much think so, that they just saw her immediately as a vulnerable opportunity for them. And, oh. and that's where this went. And, and I feel like this entire time that they've been looking for her, I, I absolutely do feel that she's been gone the whole time. Yeah. Like there's just no question that she hasn't been, you know. Yeah. Not gone. like she's yeah, she's gone. Mm-hmm. Which for yeah. her sake, I'm glad that that is the case, frankly. You know, well, she yeah. Go through something else horrible that it was quick. But well, that is our take on the Mara Murray case. Yeah. It's an interesting one. It is. And there are so many Mm -hmm. theories. There's a lot of rabbit holes to fall down on this case. But I felt like we should put a lot more of our um, emphasis on the psychic side of things on this case. because The the basic information is so well known. So I appreciate you playing psychic Q&A with me. Oh, 
I like doing psychic Q&A with you. Yeah. Well, by the way, next week we are yes. covering the case of the Bell Witch. Ooh. This is uh, a very old case from uh, Tennessee. Yeah. Bell Witch is uh, up to that time and maybe ever is the only supernatural uh, being to ever be convicted of a crime. So, so of it course, is we have to so talk about wild. It. Oh my God, I have so much to say about this case. So definitely tune in next week. Or if you're listening to this, you know, a million years down the road, be sure that you find our footage of the Bell Witch. Uh, Our episode of it it will be very well worth your time. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah. Well, we want you to remember always to like and subscribe wherever. If you're listening to this podcast, if you're watching this podcast on YouTube, wherever you are, like, and subscribe over on Facebook. You can join us. Our fan page is true crime paranormal with the psychic sisters podcast. And then we also have the true crime paranormal discussion group, which is our Facebook group. If you want to come talk about this case or any other case that we do, or if you want to share ideas with us about what cases we should cover, we love to hear that from all of you. And also we are on Patreon and we really appreciate our patrons over there. If you would like extra content and to support us so that we can continue offering this podcast, then go become a patron at Patreon. And we're True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters on Patreon. Yeah. yeah. All righty. Well, well, sounds great. Thanks for being here today, Katie. That was a lot of fun. It was awesome. Yep. Yeah. And thanks for choosing this case. It's been a great one to cover. It has, most definitely. Well, I'm excited about the Bell Witch next week. All righty. Well, everybody, thank you and take care. See you next time. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.